0: Ready? How many of you are leftovers from the school of the prophets? Would you raise your hand? You're here from the school of prophets. Bless you, crazy people! In five days wasn't enough for you? That's awesome! And how many of you are coming for first year school ministry? You're here this week because. Ah, wow. amazing! How many of you are back here for second year school ministry? Wow. Where's the rest of y'all from? Wow, that's amazing. Well, we, uh, Kathy had some sad news today. We, we, uh, we have three horses. We actually have two on our property, and one of the very first horses we got is a, a very old horse, and tonight our horse passed away. And uh, so Kathy called me during the service, which she never does, and so I, I ran out, and she was obviously very hurting. And uh, then she decides to come tonight anyway, and she sees that picture. <laughs> I don't know, but she's like, That looks like an angel touching my horse. Or a ballerina. But either way, it's good, huh? So it's uh, always, how many know the Lord cares about horses? cares about donkeys and horses. And I'd say something funny, but I already have. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway. so we bless Kathy tonight. Yes, oh, the farm thing, I don't know, it's part of the farm thing. Well, um, we're going to have a good time tonight. Why don't you grab a hand and we're going to pray for a moment. You know what to do, right? I hope you sat strategically like, I know more people come when I preach. They're like, all the single people are like, I'm going to sit, I'm okay, where's he going to sit? That's where I'm sitting, right next to him, right there. Strategic. This is better than e-harmony right here. Just pray really slow for the single people. It's the most exciting part of the service right here for them. Lord, we bless what you're doing tonight. Thank you for just what you've already done. The impact that you've had on people, their hearts, their minds, their bodies, their spirits. Lord, we pray for more. We pray for our neighbor. Just pray for your neighbor right now. Lord, just give them everything they came for and more. Just give them everything they came for and more. Thank you Lord, everything they came for and more in Jesus name. Let go of hands. if you're dealing with migraine headaches, would you just stand? I just want to pray for people that are dealing with migraine headaches? I mean, you don't have to have having one. you don't have to have one right now, but you're you have ongoing migraine headaches. Would you please stand? We're going to pray? I just felt like we were to just once in a while something happens and yeah. Hey, if you have some other disease, you can stay seated and just say, I take that for myself right there. But Lord, we just release healing right now for all these folks that have migraines. Any kind of migraine headache, in Jesus' name, we just release your healing. If someone's around you, just go ahead and appropriately lay your hands on them. Thank you, Lord. We just release your healing power over migraine headaches. In Jesus' name. If you're watching by Bethel TV... You can just join us right now. Just stand up in your living room and just receive this. Stand up wherever you're at. Just stand up right now and just receive healing for your migraine headaches. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. And those of you that are just getting prayer, just say, I receive that for myself. Some of you have been prayed for hundreds of times, but this is the one right here. This is doing it right here in Jesus' name. Okay, um... Uh, I, I felt like we were to pray for people who f- you're feeling like really emotionally unstable. Would you stand? We're just going to pray for your soul right now. First John, uh, one of my favorite verses. Beloved, I pray that you'd prosper and be in good health even as your soul prospers. And you're just feeling like you're going through a really fragile time. Would you stand, please? Would you stand? You're going through a really fragile time and you feel really super, like, you know, I've been there many times, just not wholly stable or, or just maybe fragile or maybe is the right word. You feel really fragile. Would you just stand? Just let us just strengthen your soul. You know, the Bible, uh, Isaiah declared, strengthen the feeble. And when we're going through times where we feel feeble, it's so good to have brothers and sisters around us that can just speak into the foundation of our soul. So we're going to right now, we're just going to strengthen the feeble right now, the feeble souls. In Jesus' name. Yeah, just go ahead and do that. I'm going to let you just minister to them for maybe a minute or two. Uh, Just encourage their soul. I I really think that we're talking about their soul right now. Just encourage their soul. Strengthen their soul. You might have something just to briefly say to them about their soul. In fact, another version says, it says, encourage the faint-hearted. Say to those who are fearful in heart, be encouraged. Don't be afraid. Just bless them right now with words of encouragement. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I, I, do, I feel like the Lord's even healing body chemistry. Some of those that are standing, this year, there's something just going on with their, just your brain chemistry, and the Lord's just healing it. Again, if you're watching by Bethel TV, just stand. Whatever room you're in, just stand and just receive the same way these folks are receiving right now just receive your healing right now. Jesus is encouraging you, he's releasing strength into your soul. Thank you, Lord. We just release strength into your soul. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Okay, just one more minute, pray for them one more minute and then have them se- That's so good. You can feel strength coming into you, right? You feel peace, like peace is just beginning to flow into you? Okay, you can go ahead and be seated. We're going to pray for one more thing tonight. If you have any kind of addiction, if you have any kind of addiction, any kind of addiction whatsoever, whether it's just a, you know, it could just be anything, food addiction, addiction to pornography, addiction to anything... Would you just stand right now? We're going to pray for you right now. I understand it takes humility to stand, but how many know God's opposed to the proud, but He gives grace to the humble? Maybe you've been prayed for a hundred times and you haven't been healed, but tonight, just stand right now. If you're watching, again, by Bethel TV, just stand right now in your living room or wherever you're watching from. If you have any kind of addiction, just stand right now. There's a bunch of folks right there. Just stand up, be courageous, and the Lord's going to free you right now. Why do I have to stand? Well, you would... What if I don't get free? But what if you do? Yes. We, we say physical obedience brings spiritual release. So. And by the way, you're among really good people who have also struggled with different things. So <laughs> if anybody's judging you, then it's their issue. So Lord, we just speak release to captives right now. We speak release to captives. I was reading this Isaiah 61 word during worship tonight. We speak release to captives. And freedom to prisoners. And by the way, the idea that you're addicted, the Bible the the, the Lord says that's a lie. That you are not you are not addicted. To yours. The Lord's freeing you right now in Jesus' name. He's freeing you from chemical addictions, from addictions to pornography, addictions to unhealthy eating, addictions to to uh, going back to bad relationships. And Lord, we just break off we just break off the patterns that are unhealthy in our lives. The patterns that are unhealthy in our lives. There's about, there's several people you didn't stand because I said addictions, but you're addicted to, to people who abuse you. Would you stand right now? You keep returning to relationships that abuse you. I've known so many of these people, even in my, even in my extended family. You're addicted to people who abuse you. Would you stand right now? Stand right now if you're addicted to people who abuse you. You've been in relationship after a relationship, and each of those relationships abuse you, but you tend to find those people. And again, Bethel TV, stand right now. Lord, we break off these addictions right now in Jesus' name. This, this, this tendency towards finding people who will punish us. And we release forgiveness over their souls right now. Where we break the bondage of shame in Jesus' name. And we say, you're way too awesome to be acting like that. And you are a son or daughter of God. Yes. And by the way, every time you let someone abuse you, or every time you allow people to abuse you so you feel better about your sin, how many know you're saying to Jesus, what you did on the cross wasn't good enough for me? And so, Lord, we thank you for the cross, that the cross didn't just forgive us, it actually cleansed us from all unrighteousness. And so we speak a cleansing from all unrighteousness in Jesus' name. And we pray and we speak over each one of you healthy relationships in Jesus' name. That this is the beginning. This is the turning point. Tonight is the, is the first day of the rest of your life in relationships. And the truth is, is that from this day forward, you will actually track, attract healthy relationships. People who will honor you. People who will protect you. Lord, we speak that over them right now in Jesus' name. Everybody said, so be it. So be well, that's a good word. You can go ahead and sit down. Well, um, I've been doing this um, series. I don't know how many of you were here the last uh, month or so, but I think I've done two sessions on, um, on healthy marriages and healthy relationships. How many of you were here for the family talk? I did, uh, I think a couple of weeks ago, I did a session, a family talk, and Kathy and I are starting to write a book on, uh, I, I don't know what gonna, the title's going to be, but it's going to be about raising families, healthy families, and, and, um, and I, I just put on Facebook, oh, I don't know, a week or two ago, hey, Kathy and I are writing a book on family. What would you like us to talk about? And I had, I got, uh, I think there's 504 comments on there. Uh, interesting. About 300 of them are. Could you speak about blended families? And could you speak about single mothers? Could you speak about? Could you speak about how God feels about um, divorce and remarriage? And so here we go, going where no man's ever gone before. <laughs> uh, um, so, I, I, and you know, the interesting thing is. Um, so I, I have, you know, I've been obviously taking notes, and I'm like, okay, so, um, on that subject. But uh, I, I often wake up or three, three or four o'clock in the morning, and uh, it was probably, uh, uh, probably three or four nights ago, I woke up and I really felt I was supposed to actually teach on, um, on blended families and divorce and remarriage. And so I, I'll have to tell you that I have shared. This kind of stuff, Um, I've made some comments, some passing comments about divorce and remarriage before. I uh, have uh, done a little bit in a small group, but I have never publicly taught this. So I need a little extra grace, if that's all right. This probably won't go perfectly smooth. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I might never do this again. So glad I'm doing it while we're streaming. (laughs) Didn't actually think about that beforehand, but I really do feel like I'm supposed to do this. So um, so let's just start. I'm gonna probably I've, I've uh, written quite a bit on this, on this subject, so I'm going to read uh, a lot of it. How many know that the gospel is always redemptive? If you don't have a redemptive answer, I'd propose you don't have the answer. So God's answer is always redemptive. And um, you know, the challenge is, um, I'm convinced that sometimes Christians, uh, when they can't find a rule that applies to a situation, they don't have an answer. And so sometimes I think we're, we're kind of, we kind of get to this place where we're kind of s- stuck because we can't find a verse for it, or the only verse we find doesn't seem to apply to the person that's in front of us, and so we get stuck. And, and how many you know, the Bible, Proverbs says, that knowledge comes easy to him who has understanding. When we actually understand the heart of the Lord, it's not that hard to figure out how to move forward some of these things. So I want to talk a little bit about, um, uh, about divorce and remarriage. Uh, before I do that, you know, sometimes um, I, I think that the challenge for uh, for all of us in teaching a subject like this is that we so believe in marriage. I, I, I've been married forty two years. I've often I've had many hard things in my life, but thankfully none of them have been my marriage, and that's a miracle. And she's a martyr. <laughs> um, and so, uh, so the challenge when we're talking about divorce and remarriage I, I think at least from, for, for me at least as a, as, a, as a teacher and as a father and one of the fathers of this house is sometimes we want to be redemptive about people who are divorced and people who have remarried or people that are divorced and are thinking about remarriage and on the other side is there's a lot of people in hard marriages And so sometimes we, in our, like, we don't want to be so zealous about, like, yes, God forgives you, and let's go on, that we say to the person that's in a tough marriage, it's okay, just end the marriage and go on. And and so I I feel the tension, even up here, I I knew I was going to feel this tension, because when I've made comments about it uh, in years past, obviously in Moral Revolution, we get lots of opportunities to talk about sexuality, lots of opportunities to talk about marriage, and and the, the single and divorce and uh, living together those those questions all come up in, in question and answer times and i 'm like how do i how do I give this person a redemptive answer without letting the rest of the room that 's in hard marriages feel like it 's okay to divorce and so I, I feel the tension tonight, and I, maybe that 's why we don 't speak into it a lot because it's it 's not so hard when you 're with someone in your office who 's been divorced and is now remarried to speak specifically into them and to give them tons of hope. It's a quite a different thing to speak to a large audience who are in different places and not have the wrong thing happen. And so um, I I want you to know that um, and I did did write a little thing on Facebook, it was probably a couple years ago and it, it happened through an encounter I had with somebody about they were divorced and basically they remarried and, and, they, and they felt like their marriage could never be blessed. And so I was talking to them about that God forgives and, you know, probably this, some of the things we're going to talk about in a few minutes and, uh, and, and, uh, and it just really changed their life. And so I wrote a little, just a, it wasn't, you know, it was just a, a, a short blog about that God forgives divorced people. And I got this like barrage of like, you know, you are promoting divorce. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Wow, where did that come from? And so um, I just want you to know, I want to say that you have to remember who's sharing the message. Bill and I had some conversation about uh, preaching and teaching, I don't know, a week ago or so. And we were talking about how often we are sharing, thinking that people understand the context of our lives and are reading the message through the context of our lives and then realizing that by their comments, they often are not. And so sometimes we feel like we have to go back here and make sure we give them context so they read the right context into our message. So if you receive anything that says, Chris thinks divorce is okay, you missed the message. Completely missed the message. So if I can leave you with that and move on, so you might have to factor that in as we go on. Because when we're being redemptive, and you don't remember this, it's gonna, it could sound so good, it's like, well, let's send so grace will abound. It could, it could end up feeling like that. And I'm like, no, but I'm not going to share this. I'm not going to share this 10 times through the message so you'll be okay with it. So in the, I'm saying right here in the first five minutes, like, if you divorce and remarry, it, could be, it probably will be very painful. In fact, psychologists say that next to losing a child that divorce is the most stressful thing in life besides losing a child. So when you think of, of, hey, I'm in a tough marriage. He doesn't make me happy. She doesn't make me happy. I'm in a divorce so I can be happy. Probably not going to happen. Probably what's going to happen is you're going to figure out that when you married and God God bound you together, he bonded you together, you're probably going to realize that when you separate, there's much more tearing than you thought there would be. I always explain it like this when we're talking to moral revolution about having sex with somebody and then, and then, um, you know, and then breaking up with them, not staying bonded. As, and, and one of the examples that we use is, you know, you take two pieces of wood and you glue them together. I'm a woodworker, so the example works well for me. You glue two pieces of wood together, and you let them dry, and then you pull them apart. You know, how many understand that if you let them dry well, and you pull them apart, there's going to be some of the wood from this board on that board, and there's going to be some of the wood from this board on that board, and that's called a soul tie. When you marry, it's not just a ceremony, you literally have a soul tie. There's another dimension to things that isn't seen, often isn't seen, often can't be understood with with the mind, how many, let me say it this way. Sometimes there are things that you can experience that you can't explain. <laughs> you try to explain them, but you experience things you can't always explain. And when you marry somebody and you bond with them, and you're like, okay, i got to all these problems with this person. I'm going to solve this by, you know, it's kind of like, we're just going to break up. It's like, it doesn't quite work like that. And there's a tearing that happens. And now you have the soul of somebody else with you, and they have some of their soul with, with, I'm sorry, you have some of their souls with you, some of your souls with them, and you tend to go, to, go through life with a piece of someone else with you. It, it, again, hard to explain, not very hard to experience. And so divorce is a very tough thing. When God says no, there's always a reason. <laughs> How many know God created sex? I mean, you could have had you lay on an egg, you know, like... Lay an egg like a bird. I, I mean, I don't know how many of you be here. Your turn. I, I don't know why we see God like he's the cosmic killjoy or something. It's like it was his idea to make it fun. Uh, uh, Psalms 34 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. How many know when you eat and it tastes good? How many know the Lord could have like fed you Or I mean, you know, I, I the idea that it's fun to eat. Remind you of the Creator. How many know He created you for His good pleasure? I mean, the Lord likes pleasure. So when we we say, well, God just doesn't want me to have fun, He created fun. He was the inventor of fun. So when you think of it like this way, and you go, okay, the God who created fun, and created me to have fun, and created my body to experience fun... That guy said, don't do it that way. Probably a reason. Are you with me? So, divorce. Um, oftentimes, God speaks into things. How many know that there's a difference between a commentary and a documentary? A commentary is, what does God think about that? And a documentary is, this is what happened, and this is what God did. Are, you, you understand the difference? In other words, sometimes God speaks into a situation. Esther is a great example. I love the book of Esther, by the way. But sh- the Bible, the Bible is clear that Esther slept with the king. How many know God wasn't saying, "Hey, you want to"? And by the way, the king divorced his wife to look for another queen. How many know God wasn't wasn't saying, "Hey, if you want to make friends and influence people and change a nation, <laughs> do this." He was saying, that's what they did, and here's where I interacted with them. And what I'm getting at is that God often speaks into a situation that he didn't create, but he redeems. Sometimes we get that wrong because we don't know when God's speaking as a documentary, this is what they did, and this is how I intervene, or a commentary, this is what they did because I told them to do that. I'd propose the book of Acts is some commentary and some documentary. Sometimes they did exactly what God said to do, and other times they did it, and God goes, and this is where I intervened. A really good example, and a really, really important example, happened during the Civil War. Um, You'll remember that the Civil War was over, largely over the uh, slave issue. What is often not depicted in documentaries is that one of the main reasons why slavery was so um, entrenched in the South. Of course, there was cotton and all that. We know those practical things, so I'm not taking from that. But the second thing is, is that they were steeped in the Bible. I'm talking about in a good way. And because Paul often spoke about slavery to Timothy, about how slaves should obey their masters and how masters should treat their slaves, many of the folks in the south, in the Bible Belt, felt like not only could they have slaves, but they should have slaves. And many of them were fighting for the authenticity of the Bible. But I would propose to you that God was actually speaking into something they were already doing. God wasn't saying, take people slaves. He was saying, you have slaves, so treat them as if you have a master. In fact, Colossians, I'll just give you a quick example. Colossians 3.22, and there's many verses on it in the New Testament. Slaves in all things obey those who are your master on earth, not with external service as those who are merely pleasing men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And then, chapter 4 of Colossians, he speaks to the masters. Masters, grant your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. My point is this. God wasn't validating slavery. He's saying, you have slaves, so this is how you're going to treat them. I'm saying, was that a commentary or a documentary? I'd propose that God... I propose that God doesn't like slavery. That he came to actually free oppressed people. That he came to set captives free. That all through the Bible, God was releasing captives and freeing prisoners. That he rose Moses up to free slaves. But in a culture like the Greek culture that Timothy was in, where they actually had slaves and slavery was already legal, he was saying, okay, this is the system. You already have slaves. So listen, how do... How does the kingdom actually influence a system that's already evil? And God goes, "Okay, slaves. Until slavery goes away, this is how to behave with your masters. Masters, until slavery goes away, this is how to treat your slaves." And 400. No, I'm sorry, 637,000 people died in a civil war because we uh, we misunderstood documentary and commentary. No, I understand there was other reasons, but if I could at least factor that in. In other words, it's important to understand that God's answer is always redemptive. If you don't have a redemptive answer, you have to check your answer. We have to go back to how many of you know Jesus died on the cross to redeem us. This is our core, core, core. Like, you get all the way down to the root of everything, and you go, okay, if Jesus came to redeem the earth, point one, let's keep the main thing the main thing, and I have an answer that doesn't relate to that root, I have a, I have a reason to question it. <laughs> if I have someone in my office and they're asking me a question and I don't know the answer, I can step back while, they're, while I'm interacting with them to go, okay, what would redemption do in this situation? I may have not ever been in that situation before. What would redemption do in this situation? I've had people, the first three years... Uh, that I was here, I did lots of the counseling. Dan Fairley and I were are the main counselors, also um, Alan Ray. And I, I mean, I got exposed to things I had never heard of before. Had a transvestite type who had had a sex change in my office the, uh, this, the first year, and they got saved, and they wanted to know should they be a man or a woman? I mean, the world is complicated, man. People think of really creative ways to screw up their life. And you're there, and you're like, okay, uh, is there a verse for that? (laughs) I mean, what do you do? Do you like, um, let me see if I can get you meeting with Bill. Bill will know what to do about this. (laughs) See, one of the things I've learned is you can have really dogmatic opinions about things you don't have to solve. Let me say this, you can have really dogmatic opinions about things you don't actually have to solve, until they get in your room, until they get in your office, until they get in your space. I had very, very strong, I have very strong values about marriage, but let me say this, it was, I didn't realize how dogmatic I was until I started counseling. And people come in with really, really difficult problems. And my dogmatic, black and white justice answer couldn't find a way of redemption. Let's talk a little bit about uh, divorce. First of all, Jeremiah three eight. Um, this is a, a just a passage I grabbed out of Jeremiah. I saw that for all uh, this is uh, Jeremiah speaking of um, Israel. I saw for all the adulteries of her faithless Israel, and had sent her away and given her. A, a certificate of divorce. And so, um, three times in the, in the uh, Old Testament, God says to, to Israel, I divorce you. How many know God hates divorce? But God divorced Israel. It needs to settle for a minute. God went through a divorce. He said to Israel, you're faithless, you're a prostitute, you've prostituted yourself with other gods, I've tried to woo you back. You've got to read the whole thing of Jeremiah. I've done everything to woo you back. I've tried to love you. I've tried to make you faithful. I've forgiven you a thousand times. You refuse to walk with me in matrimony, and I divorce you. I, Isaiah um, repeats the divorce certificate. And so, although God hates divorce, He divorced His people. Matthew chapter 19, verse 3. This is a powerful verse. Some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him, and saying, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause at all? And he answered said, Have you not read that he created them from the beginning, and he made them male and female? And he said to them, For this cause a man shall leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Consequently, they are no longer two, but they are one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? And he said to them, because of your hardness of your heart. Moses permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not this way. And, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, now this is very interesting. Can you pay really close attention to this? So Jesus just said, the Pharisees are testing Jesus and saying to Jesus, um, is there any reason at all that it's okay for a man to divorce his wife? And Jesus basically says, no, it wasn't like that in the beginning. And they said, well, how come Moses said it was okay? He said, that was because of the hardness of your heart. Now Jesus just gives them a decree that says that they have never heard. This is not Old Covenant, right? Because Moses told them they could get a certificate of divorce. They could divorce their wives. Jesus said, if anyone divorces his wife, or a woman divorces her husband, unless they commit adultery, immorality, then they, if they remarry, commit adultery. The disciples, I propose to you, are stunned the disciples said to them, if the relationship of a man with his wife is like, this is better not to marry. <laughs> did you hear what they just said? Peter's like, hey, if we got to stay married like forever, we probably shouldn't marry. In other words, did you just get what, what the disciples said? The disciples, the most holy people on the planet without, except for Jesus, just told Jesus, if you have to stay married forever, I don't think that'll work. You know why? Well, let me finish reading it, and I'll, I'll tell you. The disciples said to him, if the relationship of a man with his wife is like, this it's better not to marry. But he said to them, not all men can accept this statement, but only those to whom it's been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way from the mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who have been made that way by men. And there are also eunuchs who have been made that have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He was able to accept this, let him accept it. Jesus just said, let me just be really simple what Jesus just said. He said, if you don't marry, you can't have sex. Now Peter's like, maybe marriage is good. I think marriage is good. What do you think, John? Yeah, marriage is good. Thomas, I doubt it. Jesus just gave the highest standard for sexuality. He just said, if you want to be a eunuch, you don't have to marry. But it might be kind of hard if you have a sex drive. But some men have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom. I'm feeling good. I like my marriage. Yours, John, mine's going good too. Now, why did Jesus, why did Jesus say that, and why did the... Disciples respond, the disciples respond like that. The Pharisees responding like that, we're not surprised. But why did the disciples respond like that? Because divorce, in, Jew, in Jewish culture, and by the way, when I, did, when I studied for the uh, Fashion the Rain book, the woman, Empowering Women book, I learned a ton. And what I learned is that, it, uh, several things. One is polygamy was legal for men. And not only was it legal, but most men had three to five wives. And so you didn't even have to really divorce your wife. You'd just grab another one. But they divorced their wives even though they could practice polygamy. So think about this. If you had a wife and you saw someone else that you liked better who wasn't married, you could just marry her too. But that wasn't good enough for men. They would have three or four wives and then, not like the way this one's behaving, so they would just throw her away like an old rag. You know the story of the woman of the well? The Samaritan woman? In my book, I made a mistake about that story because I thought that that woman had been married five times and the one she's living with now is not her husband. But actually, the story goes like this. Women don't divorce men. Men divorce women. Jesus was saying to you, you five men have divorced you. And the one one you're with right now, he won't even marry you. He was talking about her rejection, not her immorality. This was the way... And I got it wrong in the book when I'm going to fix it. But this was, well, I got it wrong. It happens. (laughs) I didn't understand that. But I understand now. So what I'm getting at is if you think divorce in America is bad, it's nothing like the first century. Imagine if you could have three, four, five wives, and 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 you're still not satisfied. You're still divorcing them. So you didn't marry forever. The the concept that you marry forever, that was was out of style in the days when Jesus walked the earth. And the Pharisees were the ones... By the way, the Pharisees weren't like the Catholic priests who didn't marry. The Pharisees also had many wives. And the Pharisees were the ones that were perpetuating perpetuating this whole culture religiously because they were telling people, well, Moses gave a certificate of divorce, so it's all good. Divorce whoever you want. And remember, Pharisees hated women. Remember... The Old Testament had 217 laws. Judaism, Pharisees and scribes created Judaism. Judaism had 637. A hundred of the laws, the new laws, were against women. That's why it was always the woman caught in adultery that was brought to Jesus. Because they hated women. So now Jesus comes onto the scene and He goes, Hey, you can't divorce your wives. You can't divorce your wives, who they think of as dogs and slaves. Now Jesus connected to them forever. And the boys are like, wow. Jesus has a... uh, Two points here, obviously. Jesus has a high value for marriage, which that's the first level you see. But what thing you probably don't see is Jesus has a high value for women. Jesus just told them, if you marry a woman, you are married to her forever. And by the way, she's bone of your bone and flesh of your flesh. And he just repeats the prophecy that Adams shared in Genesis 2 when he wakes up from the woman being taken out of the man and he goes, she's bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh and by the way, they've gotten 4,000 years from that. And he basically said, you can't divorce your wife because she's part of you. So. Now, it began, now we begin to see why Jesus is making such hard lines about divorce. He's not just talking, obviously he's talking about divorce. I don't want to take that away at all. I don't want to take the pain of that away. But he's also honoring women in a culture that throws them away. Are you with me? So, here's the challenge. In some circles of the church, divorce is equal to the unpardonable sin. People who have been divorced are treated as if they have the plague. They can't serve in the church. They are not trusted. But having suffered through a divorce in my own family with our son, I have a very different perspective, and let me begin to process you with you. And, I, and this is just where I talk about my value for marriage. There's a real challenge. There's no easy answers. Here's what I wrote. There's no easy, there's no easy answers. Here's the challenge. There are millions of people in the United States alone who are divorced and remarried. I want to give you an example. I began, uh, when I began counseling years ago, I had a dogmatic black and white perspective on many issues, but especially on marriage and divorce. The problem was that my simple theological perspectives were irrelevant to many of the complex situations I found myself in and trying to resolve. Let me give you an example. I'm just going to read it because it goes a little faster. For example, person A marries person B. And then let's, and then gets divorced for unscriptural reasons. Unscriptural reasons are what? There was no immorality involved. Let's just keep it simple for a second. Is there other reasons people should divorce? That's probably for another subject, but definitely immorality, right? Years pass. Okay, so person A meets person B and gets divorced. Then years pass, and person A remarries and has two kids with person C. Clear? Okay. Meanwhile... Person B, remember person A and person B got married? Person B remarries person D who's also divorced and her ex-spouse is remarried. Now persons B and D end up in my office with serious marriage problems. Okay, so simple. So these two people get married. They divorce for unscriptural reasons. They go off and get married to someone else. And one of those couples, by the way, I'm giving you the exact, uh, this is, all I did is take letters and exchange them for names. Because this really happened. This is my first counseling session on marriage. Person A and B, by the way, person A and B are married, and person C and D are married. Person, These two people right here, person A and person D, they go on a missions trip. They're Christians. They find each other, have sex on the missions trip, and come back and blow up their marriages. They have children from those marriages. They get married. You with me so far? They have children together now. So they have children, and now they have children with each other, right? Now, they go five years down the road, and their marriage is not working. Uh, actually, by the time they get to my office, it's been eight years. Their marriage is not working, and they're now both convicted It's been years, and now they're convicted. And they're in my office, and their marriage isn't working. So they say, you know, we got divorced, this is our story. It's a horrible story. I'm giving you just a piece of it. It's a very horrible story. Neither one of them had any major issues with their spouses. I mean, they weren't being abused. There wasn't alcohol being used. There was no drugs. I mean, there was actually... Their marriage, you would say, from one to ten, they had marriages that were six or seven. I mean, they wouldn't have problem marriages. They went on a missions trip, and they, quote, quote, fell in love. Blew up their marriages, got married, had children. Okay, so now what do I tell them? Now they want to repent. How do they repent? Right? Bring... Forth fruit of righteousness, right? Bring forth root, fruit of repentance. What does it look like? Can God ever bless them again? First question they asked me: can God bless this marriage that began with both of us in sin? Adultery, adulterous relationships. Can God bless this? This is a very complicated question. They both were believers, they both knew exactly what they were doing was wrong, they did it anyway. They got married. Now, I mean, let's say that they got married and neither one of their spouses remarried and they didn't have children and they've been married six months. There might be a different answer. I mean, there could be. Like, could you guys restore your marriages? I mean, mean, I'm just saying, like, it's one of the possibilities that goes through your brain, right? Like, maybe that could happen. Is it okay to divorce again? Like, you guys married and then you committed adultery, then you got married, and is repentance look like you divorced? I mean, does that count? (laughs) Now you've been divorced twice. (laughs) But would you agree with me, like, that doesn't feel like an option? Because you have children with these people. These people are remarried. They're both remarried. So what's their pathway to redemption? And if you think that this is uncommon you haven't counseled this is the world we live in and you pull your Bible out and you're like well Paul said (laughs) okay wait that doesn't fit you let me find it I know there's gotta be one in here for y'all Jesus said well that one you already wrecked that one (laughs) and I pull out my 12 verses on marriage and divorce and I can't find a redemptive answer of these people so what are my options? What do I tell them? Do I tell them, here, number one, do I tell them, you're both committing adultery, ask God to forgive you, but you also need to understand that God won't help you restore your relationship because both of you are against heaven so you will live the rest of your lives without the blessing of Jesus on your relationship. Do I tell them that? I mean, I mean, there's one option. Can God bless my marriage? Never. You screwed up, your life is over. And by the way, don't ever think about doing anything for the gospel, because you've already wrecked that. Because only good people can carry the gospel. Those of us who have not failed in any way. Especially the way you have failed. Oh, how about number two? Or do I say, the two of you must ask God to forgive you and bring forth fruit of repentance by divorcing each other? The only marriage God can bless is your first marriage. Therefore, you must either divorce and convince your original spouses to divorce their spouses and reconcile with you. (laughs) Then you Then he will help you figure out how to integrate your two children into your families by sharing joint custody. Or do I say the two of you must make things right with God because you're living in adultery. Therefore, you need to get a divorce and share custody of your children. Okay, how about number three? Maybe number three is, maybe the third option is to say that there's no godly solution for your problem. No matter what the two of you do, you can never be blessed, even though you have forgiven, because you both screwed up and you must live with it the rest of your life. These are the complex questions that we have. You wonder why counselors are tired. I wonder why they go into the business. Three years of that, I'm like, I'm so glad I'm a prophet, I get paid to sleep. See, and here, let me, just, let me just make it harder. If you marry and you divorce, we have these questions, we have all these issues, right? We have some clear things that Jesus said, we have a f- couple of things Paul said, we know about um, Genesis 2, and so like, we have some things, and how about the people who go, I don't marry, I just live with people. I have three children with four men. Then I decide to get married, and we're like, oh, that's awesome, they're finally marrying. Wait a second. They've actually been with four other men for years. Five years with this one. Four years with this one. Eight years with this one. Got three children from three cohabitations. And now they decide to marry. And we're like, they finally get it. They're going to marry. Oh, if that's how we feel about it, then maybe it'd be better to practice. Because if you did that with marriage, and you're on your fourth marriage... We wouldn't be doing this. So those folks didn't even try to obey God for three times. Lived together, had sex together, had children together, cohabited, broke every rule, didn't make a covenant with God at all, didn't make a covenant with each other. Is that better? Because we deal with people like that a lot better than we deal with people who tried I don't know a person in this room, I don't know all of you, <laughs> but I bet you if I brought somebody up here and we married them after they've been living with three or four people, that it wouldn't even come up if they could be blessed. I'd be like, they're finally going to have a relationship that's blessed. See, part of the challenge is we don't think. We just make statements about stuff we don't know anything about. We haven't thought through it, and the divorced person is the person who's carrying the weight of our judgments when we don't know what the heck we're talking about because we haven't thought through it. And we go, well, let me me tell you what Jesus said. Well, you're already past that. So I mean, obviously, let me just be clear. If someone comes to my office, two people, and they're like, "We want a divorce. We're not getting along." You already know what my answer is going to be, right? Well, that's a dumb idea. Well, da 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 da. We're incompatible. Get compatible. She doesn't make me happy. She's not supposed to make you happy. Happiness is an inside job. I mean, three times in 40 years. I' have counseled people to divorce, and you, if you knew the circumstances, I don 't doubt you would have done the same. So think about how many people I have counseled, hundreds, hundreds. it wouldn 't even be zero 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 one percent of the people that I 've said you 've done everything it 's time to leave. Every other person i 'm like, nothing 's impossible with God. Hang in there as long as you can. Now, I've, I've, t- I've counseled people to separate. How many you know? I don't go for abuse. Especially, I grew up in abuse, an abused home where my mother was beaten, so I don't do man hits woman. I don't do woman hits man either, but just to be clear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to tell you this story real quickly, it's kind of a funny one. I'll give you the short version. I had counseled this woman and she told me that her husband grabbed her and put her up against the refrigerator and you know, slammed her up against the refrigerator and... He's done it twice to her, and, you know, and so I've been counseling her for like three or four weeks, and three or four sessions. And so you know, I, I finally said, would your husband be willing to come in? And she said, yes, my husband said he'd come in. This is after like the fourth session. I'm like, I I got both barrels loaded for that guy. Remember, I grew up in a house that men abused my mom. So he comes in, and instead of like doing the Danny Silk. Brave communication, like ask questions before you have an opinion. Don't develop an opinion until you've actually heard the story from both people. I'll tell you this one made me learn that. So he sits down and he's never been to church in our church before. And after, you know, hi, how you doing? I start on him and I'm like, and your wife said that you grab her by the arms and you push her against the refrigerator and you did this and you bruise both of her arms. He goes, Whoa, whoa. Did she tell you that she had a meat cleaver in her hand? And that she's thrown it at me twice and that she hits me with, with, with iron, cast iron pans while I'm sleeping? Did she tell you that I restrained her when she had the meat cleaver in her hand? I said, did you have a meat cleaver in her hand? She said, well, I had to. He's bigger than me. I'm like, oh... Did you hit him with a (laughs) frying pan while he's sleeping? Well, I can't hit him while he's awake. Oh, you should have heard that story. I walked out of my office and I walked into Dan's. I'm sorry, it wasn't funny, but it, it was so funny. I'm like, okay, okay, ask questions before you develop an opinion. Right? Proverbs says you hear one side of the story, and then you're a fool if you don't listen to the other side, right? So, okay. Okay, I would propose to you that nothing is beyond the redemptive nature of God. If you've been divorced and remarried, God bless you. God bless your remarriage. But I sinned. Did you ask Jesus to forgive you? And did you repent? Repent means you think differently. Yes, I did. Okay, did he do the same? Yes, he did. All right. We're going to bless your marriage right now. What are we going to do with this? Wait, let's just start here. When we start from a blessed place, other things work out that haven't been working out. Okay, so let's just start over. You're not a leper. Divorce is not the unforgivable sin. I love what uh, um, Paul Manwaring, I almost said the Apostle Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Manwaring shared this example many years ago. I love it, I've shared it so many different places. He, uh, he was, uh, of course, a prison governor in a juvenile prison for many years. and He said, I used, to, I used to love to get a really inexpensive Bible, and I would get in front of the prisoners and I would say, Let me, let's remove all the books of the Bible that were written by murderers. There goes the first five books of Moses. <laughs> Here goes the 13 books of the Apostle Paul. Oh, there goes most of the Psalms written by David. And when we get done, we got a Bible that's about that thick. And he goes, here's the Bible written by all the people who hadn't killed somebody. Okay, now let's take out the, the, ver- <laughs> let's take out the, the chapters where people have done other things wrong. Oh, there's no Bible left. And what I'm getting at is this. If God can use murderers to write the Bible. Certainly, he can qualify divorced people and recommission them. Certainly, he can recommission divorced people to live again, to love again. Thank you, Chris, for that word. Now, what can God do with blended families? Well, the first God-ordained nation was founded on a blended family. Jacob had two wives and two mistresses, to which were born twelve children. Thirteen children, actually. There was a girl born. How many you know, well, let me just tell you. Genesis 29:13. Jacob marries his first cousins. By the way, I don't know if you know this, but Rachel and Leah weren't just two wives. They were Jacob's first cousins. <laughs> okay, well, that just it seems a little weird to me. Jacob married Leah and Rachel a week apart. Leah gave birth to number one child, Reuben, then to Simeon, then to Levi, and then to Judah. Then Jacob had sex with Rachel's Bilah, I think that's her name, maid, and she gave birth to number five and six. And then Jacob, then, then Leah got jealous and gave her her servant, was named Zilphath, and she gave birth to number seven and eight. Then Leah (laughs) got pregnant with number nine, ten, and eleven. Eleven being Diana, the girl. Then God finally opened Rachel's womb, which is the only wife he actually loved, and she had number twelve, Joseph, and number thirteen, Benjamin. What I'm getting at is this. God blessed a nation. How did the nation start? With two wives who were cousins. (laughs) I don't know why it just got me so... And two mistresses in whom he wasn't married. Now, why is that important? If God can make a blessed nation out of a dysfunctional family, then certainly God can fix your family. What have you been through? Isaiah 61, 3 and I will give you beauty for ashes. That's just a good word right there. It takes the power of God to take dysfunctional situations and make something beautiful out of them. But tonight I want to say this. God, not just can he, he will. Not just can he, he will. I I have pages on how do you blend families. I, I I don't know if I want to do 20 minutes of that. I want to do a few minutes of God wants to redeem a culture that forgives everyone and empowers people to their full place in God. What's your past like? Not so good? Well, welcome to the family. Welcome to the family. You know, it's funny because um, it's not funny in a humorous way. The Facebook post. I don't want to say I was shocked because it's Facebook. I mean, people, one the first year I was shocked. Now, not, I don't think anything surprises me anymore. The biggest judges on the marriage issue were believers. I, you know, I struggle because I'm like, do you remember where you came from? Now, let me just say this. People say certain things like, people who commit adultery deserve mercy. Absolutely. How I many know? Mercy means you don't get what you deserve. But in order to get mercy, you have to admit that you did it. <laughs> did, did you hear what I said? I'm saying grace means you get what you don't deserve. And it, I, I love this illustration. It didn't start with me. Maybe I don't know if Bill repeated it first, but I heard it years ago. If you're going 100 miles an hour and the speed limit's 50, and a police officer pulls you over and he doesn't give you a ticket, how many know that's mercy? You did not get what you deserve. But if you're going 100 miles an hour and the speed limit's 50 and a police officer pulls you over and he gives you a $1,000 for speeding, that's grace. <laughs> you didn't get that, did you? You're not laughing. Like, you got what you didn't deserve. And what I'm getting at is that both of those require that you admit to guilt. Because <laughs> it, it all begins with if you confess your sins. So some people are like, you know, well, you know, you're, you're saying that uh, you know homosexuality is, is wrong and you're judging them. No, I'm not judging them. I'm simply saying, I'm not, I'm not judging any sin. I'm simply saying, if you want mercy, you have to admit you're wrong. But until you admit you're wrong, no mercy or grace flows to you. It only flows to wrong people. <laughs> Are you with me? I'm saying, if I lied, let's say I lied. I lied to Bill. I lied to Bill. How me understand, until grace and mercy are waiting right here. They're both waiting for me. What are they waiting for me to do? Repent. <laughs> as soon as I repent, like a millisecond after I say, Lord, I was wrong. Okay, tell Bill you lied. Bill, I lied. I'm so sorry. How me know mercy and grace come in me. And First John says, when I confess my sin, he's faithful and just to forgive my sin. But then he what? He cleanses me for the, for the reason I sinned. Maybe I sinned because I was afraid. Maybe I sinned because I was trying to impress Bill. Maybe, maybe there's, there's 50 reasons why maybe I sinned. But how me know, grace comes in and restores not just the fact that I lied, but why I lied. But help me know, mercy and grace stand at a distance until I actually say I was wrong. Are you with me? So the challenge is, is that if I'm a homosexual, or an adulterer, or a liar, or a, uh, whatever, whatever it is I've done in my life, how many of you know that I need, God needs you to go, I was wrong, so that mercy and grace aren't standing at your front door knocking, they actually get to come in and restore you. The same thing happens in marriage. Listen, if you've been divorced and you're remarried, okay, one, one of the issues is this, how is that going to affect your next, next marriage? Now, let me say this. This is, not, this is not a curse. This is just like, think through this. First marriages, first divorce marriages are about one and i t- I'm sorry, 27% of first marriages in America typically uh, end in divorce. Now, you hear, a lot's higher than that, right? That's because second divorces are like 48, 49, 50%. Now, think about this. If you do something once... <laughs> Like, let's say you do a brake job on your car. First time, you've never done it before. And then you do the same brake job a second time. Let's say your brakes go out 10,000 miles later, or 20 or 30. What time would you expect to do a better job? The first time or the second time? The second time because you have experience. You have experience, right? If you make a bad business decision and it goes bad, Would you expect the second business decision to be better or worse? You would think it would be better because you have experience. But in remarriage, it goes the opposite direction. Like the more times you remarry, the less likely you are to stay together. Why? Because typically, for some reasons, there are lots of reasons, but here's a couple. One, you blame all of your first marriage on the other person. And how many you know, as long as you can give it to someone else, you don't learn what you did wrong. It might be that they were 90 and you were 10. But how many know, your 10 is coming with you into the next relationship. You can't get mercy and grace without saying, I was wrong. Here's some things that don't work. We were young. We were young? Kathy and I were young. She was 17 and I was 20. I mean, people in the, in the first century, they married at 14 and 15. They only lived to be 40. I'm saying, that's not an excuse. We were young. I, I, the only reason I'm saying that is because I'm saying, like, we were young? Okay, you were young. You were inexperienced. But what exactly was your part so that you don't bring it into the next thing? Number two, unforgiveness. I've quoted Joyce Myers many times. Joyce Myers said, Unforgiveness is like drinking deadly poison and thinking the other person's going to die. <laughs> you know, bringing unforgiveness for your, for your previous partner into your marriage, you, you, you know, all of us have had unforgiveness at some point in our life, right? We've all had like somebody we're mad at. You, you want to direct it at the person like, I don't like that person and I want them to die. The only problem is, unforgiveness is a virus that you caught, from, you caught by extending it to them, but you can't control it. You began it, but you can't control it. And it typically infects everyone that you're close to. Like it passes through being close to people. Here's another one. I will never let anyone hurt me like that. Oh, you just subjected yourself to the ice castle. Because how many know you can only... Love to the level where you can be hurt. So the next marriage never bonds. She ran out on me and, and committed adultery, and I trusted her. We were married for 20 years. I had no idea she had a double life. Now, the next woman, I never trust. I say, I will never trust anyone like that. That means you'll never love like that one. That means you'll never bond like that one. See, these are things that are important if you got married or you're thinking about getting remarried. How many know you, can't, you don't want to bring the shadow with you? I can't tell you how many times, you know, we went through this with Jay, to be honest. I'm sure he'd be fine. He shares this kind of stuff. You know, it's like we had this beautiful remarriage. Everybody bonded. It was really beautiful. But, but Jay had to learn to, to get rid of the ghost, and he would call me the first year, and he'd say, Dad, I want to explain something to you, and I want you to tell me what you think. And I said, son, the person you're talking to, she's not living with you. She's not living with you. That's another person. He goes, it is, huh? I go, it is. <laughs> That's not the person you live with, son. Thanks, Dad. That's all I needed. I needed to know that the person I'm talking to isn't the person I'm living with. That's right. It's not a son. Let me know this this bonding thing is big that I trust again, that I bond again, that I open my heart, that I say, I am completely vulnerable to you. Besides Jesus, it's me and you. Everything is mine. I don't have a prenup agreement with my love. I don't have a, I'm not going to give, I'm only going to give this much. I've come again to lay my life down. I've come with more wisdom to lay my life down. I've come to do it right this time. I've come to, to be a blessing to the fullest extent this time. I'm wiser. I'm smarter. I'm better. And so are you. Are you with me? It can be beautiful. It should be beautiful. Let me say this. If you're remarried and you've repented and all the things we talked about for the first 20 minutes, how many understand? You're to be blessed. You're to go home tonight and say, my house is a blessing. My children are blessed. If they were born from adultery or they were born from a rape or they were born from a whatever, how many know children are a gift from God no matter how they got there? Two two months ago, I'll finish with this. Two months ago, maybe three. I'm really bad at time. Jason's ex-wife, who we don't think of her as that. I only describe her in public like that, so you'll know who she is. She's our beautiful daughter. Known her since she was 16. Only dad she's ever had. She had a baby out of that relationship, out of the adulterous relationship. We love little Jackson. He's beautiful. He's full of energy. He runs across the parking lot yelling, Papa, every time he sees me. We love him. See him all the time, often. And about three months ago-ish, I get a phone call. Hey, Dad. About a year ago, I get a phone call. Hey, Dad, I'm, I'm dating someone, and I think I'm going to marry him. I'd like you to meet him. This is This is the first wife. Would you... Would you meet with us? Would you have dinner with you, and, you and mom? So we have dinner with them. We like him. They ask us out a lot. Hey, can we go have dinner again? We like you. So about three months ago, I, I, I get a message that they're going to marry, and I'm in another country. And I think, and I, I, I think I'm in London or something. And I, and I, when I go to bed, the Lord says, and you're going to marry them. So I text Bill and team and said, is this even okay? Because it it ain't in the book. I'm off the book, man. In the abundance of counselors, there's victory. But it's not outside of the redemptive plan of God. It's just not in the book. Like I can't turn to a page and go, oh, it's right here. It's good. So my team, my dads, my brothers, of course my wife, and they're all like, Yes, and Dan says, if, you, if, if you're asked. Only if you're asked. Oh, that's good. That's very wise. Okay, cool. I get back, and I think a week later, they say, hey, can we have dinner? Great. And we've been having dinner. We, they're part of our family. It's, that's not unusual. So at dinner, it's said, can we just be the four of us? I'm like, yeah. Dad, we would like you to marry us. So about two months ago-ish, Kathy and I married him. It was beautiful. How many know that's not the best story? Like, that's not how it's supposed to happen. That's not the way I write the book. But how many know that God's always redemptive? God knows how to go. Esther. Esther, uh, you know, king, exousius, divorced his wife, you know, has a, it's not really, I hate to say this, but it's not really a beauty contest. The king is sleeping with each one of them. Esther wins. Not really the way I wanted it to happen, but here's why I'm in there. There's a gold thread of redemption in the book of Esther, and we go, we love Esther. She's good. The only problem is when Esther walks into the church and we know about her previous commitment and how she met the king we're like no you can't do anything just sit there you're forgiven you're just not okay and I'm like no I'm not okay with that I'm not okay with a third of the church being exiled to the ice castle because they failed before I'm not good with that I can't live with that And this is my counsel. If you can't find it in the book, and you know what I mean, right? You can't find it in the book. I love this book, I read it every day. Funny, people who barely read it have trouble with the way I read it. <laughs> True story. I read this book twice a day, and I talk to people that are mad about my understanding of the book. I have, how often you read the book? I don't know, a couple times a week. I read it twice a day, so maybe I know more than you. <laughs> I love this book, I'm just being a little funny, you know, sarcasm. But here, here's the point I was trying to make. When you can't find it in the book, then you start thinking, okay, what's the heart of God? Way back here, just begins right here. I go back here and I go, redemption. Okay, redemption is the right answer. So if I come up with an answer, that doesn't feel like redemption, I'm like, okay, that can't be the right answer. Right? I mean, I'm just saying. I mean, he did a lot to do this. This is the, right, the main thing. This is the main thing, right? I have to always go back. What's the foundation? It's redemption. Okay, okay, good. That's redemption. So what will redemption look like here? That's not the way. I, I don't, like, my son goes through divorce, has three kids. You know, now we have another His ex-wife gets married and, you know, has a a child from from another marriage, from another boyfriend, and and it's like, wow, this is starting to feel like, this is starting to feel like Jacob. Oh, God bless Jacob. God bless Jacob. Oh, it's going to be okay. This ain't the last chapter. This ain't the last chapter. I would take my son, his face in my hands, a year after grieving, and I would say, You're going to live again? You're going to love? Look in my eyes. I'd say, to him, Look in my eyes. that I'm looking. I said, You're going to live again, and you're going to love again. And he would say, It doesn't feel true. I say, It's true. When he met Lauren, he comes over so excited. But he has this thing. It's in the closet. The bones. The bones are in the closet. Dad, is this okay? There's all these verses. I said, son, you're going to live again, and you're going to love again. He said, I'm almost afraid to be alive. You're going to live again, and you're going to love again. This is it. You're going to live again, and you're going to love again. I I want to end the leper colony. I want to end it. I want to end the leper colony in our movement. I want to, very much. And I don't know how we do that without the first five minutes of what I said. I am very concerned about that, as much as anyone. I want marriage to be honored, as Paul and Jesus both said. I want marriage to be honored, but we have to end the leper colony. We have to. We have to. If you've been divorced, you're single, you've been divorced and remarried, anything besides you're married to your first, pers- first person, you understand what I'm saying. I've been talking for an hour. Would you stand? I want to pray for you. You know I'm not trying to embarrass you. I just feel like you need a blessing from the Father. You're like, our marriage is going good, but what if it could go better? What if it could go better? Father, you told me to teach this three nights ago. I pray for people, too. If you're, if you're watching by Bethel TV, just, just stand, too. Just stand to your feet right now. This is a prophetic act. Stand up. Lord, I just release people right now, and I say to every one of you, By the authority invested in me in Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. And by standing, you said, I repent. And maybe you've done this a hundred times, so forgive me that this isn't the first time, but I still want to acknowledge, I repent. Maybe some of you are standing with your spouse, we repent. Or maybe it was done to you, and you were totally the victim. It's happened, that's for sure. But you're saying, I'm here to be restored. And the second thing I say, that mercy and grace is flowing into your life right now. Mercy says, you're not going to get what you deserve. You're like, maybe you didn't deserve anything wrong, but you get it. There's a lot of people standing. And, and maybe you're the reason why. Maybe you're the reason why the marriage ended and you haven't been able to live with yourself. And I want to tell you, let it go. Thank you. Jesus forgives you. Did you hear what I just said? Maybe you're the one who wrecked the marriage. I just said, you're free. You're free. Well, how about the pain I caused my children? What if I, well, there might be some things you need to work out with Jesus, but when you have mercy and grace, you'll know what to do. Thirdly, I feel like there's people that are standing, you, you've been sick a lot, and, I, and I, 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 it's not because you sinned, it's because you, you, you're mad at yourself, you're angry, and I want to say, forgive yourself right now. In fact, why don't, why don't we just all say together, I forgive myself in Jesus' name. I release myself completely to the mercy of Jesus, and Jesus. And Jesus, I thank you for the cross that forgave my sins, the things I did on purpose when I knew they were wrong. Thank you for the cross, Jesus. And I apply that blood to every single person. People watching by Bethel TV. I just apply the blood of Jesus to you. Some people are like, but I knew I did it wrong. I did it on purpose. That's what sin is. You can't sin by accident. You did it on purpose. But Jesus forgives you on purpose. Thirdly, I bless your home. I bless your children. I bless your finances. I bless your health. I bless your going in. I bless your coming out. I bless whatever city you're in. That the city, you, the city you're in, the people you work for, the business you own, will be blessed. Your children will be blessed. Your stepchildren will be blessed. Your half-children will be blessed. In Jesus' name, your cousins, your uncles will be blessed. It'll be like Israel who started dysfunctionally, but God blessed them. And I would say, just like Israel. As a matter of fact, this is a better covenant. Better than Israel. God blesses you in Jesus' name. And then I want you all to say, I receive that for myself and say, I receive it for my children. I receive it for my grandchildren. I receive it for my stepchildren. I receive it for my half-children. I receive it for my cousins. Come on, I'm serious, and my uncles, and my aunts, and my friends. I receive it for my extended family. I receive it for family I don't even know that they would be blessed by my standing tonight. In Jesus' name. Can we just give them all a hand to say thank you, Jesus? God bless you. Just put your hand on your own heart for a minute. I just felt so good tonight. Lord, just bless every person that's in this room. Just bless them. You know, I've repeated this story so many times. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm obsessed with this story right now. The Ark of the Covenant was taken to Obed-Edom's house. It was there for three months, and it said that everything in his house was blessed. Then I realized the Ark of the Covenant was the presence of God. Everything in your house should be that blessed. Your neighbor's like, hey, where'd you get that car? The Ark. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I just had a little bit of funny there. Uh, I blessed this house in Jesus' name. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you for the name.
1: Wow, that's really all you can say after that. That just felt like such a significant message. I was just sitting there thinking, man, I think that there are some people in the room tonight that are never going to be the same again. You're never going to be the same again, and you're going to look back on this night as a benchmark night for you and for your family. So I just release that over you, that for many of you, you will never be the same again. Tonight is a new night. It's a new day for you. Mm, I'm excited. Well, we want to have a time of ministry. Um, So if we can actually go ahead and have our ministry team begin to make your way up to the front. Um, But I'm going to call out some some words of knowledge from our staff. Um, We're praying into it and want to make sure these things get called out so you know um, some of the stuff that the Lord's been highlighting you don't have to stand up when I call it because I'm going to actually invite you all up, uh, at the front, but right now, why don't you just all stand? (laughs) Yep. So, uh, the rotary cuff, um, blood disease, nerve damage, any form of cancer at all. Carpal tunnel. Um, something that's, that's gone wrong in the left side of your brain. Um, asthma. And then something particular with uh, relationships in the family. Um, a daughter, and it might be more than one daughter, uh, that's been estranged from the father. So, uh, family restoration in that area as well. Um, so, we're going uh, to begin to have ministry up here. Um, but we want to make sure those things specifically that I called out, if that's you, make sure you please come up and get ministry for those things. Uh, but also, as well, if you need prayer for any other thing in your body, any sickness, if you need prayer for uh, restoration, you want to respond to the message Or um, if you want to meet Jesus for the first time, Um, if you don't know the Lord and you want to meet him tonight, tonight is your night. Make sure you don't miss out on this. We've got family up here that would love, love, love to pray for you and with you. Um, So you can begin to make your way forward. If that's you tonight and you want ministry, we're up here. And then we're going to get some music to go ahead and start playing.